Welcome to the Diabetes What to Know podcast, where we talk to diabetes experts about how to live a long, healthy life with diabetes. Tonight, we are answering your questions about food, meal planning, carbs, and more with diabetes care and education specialist, Rachel Taft. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. So we put out a call for questions for a dietitian on our Facebook page, and we got a ton of them. That's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. But I'd like to start out talking about carbs because not surprisingly, that was kind of the most common topic. Kathy asks, I am trying to limit my carbs. How much should I be limiting them to? Carbohydrate daily amounts are going to be different for everybody. You know, it really heavily relies on your gender, your weight, your goals, your preferences, um, your personal food culture. Um, and so it's hard to say, you know, one specific answer for, for somebody I don't know. Um, but in general, if you're testing in pairs, if you're testing blood sugar before you check, before you eat, and then two hours after you eat, and your blood sugar's not rising too much, that in general is giving you a good idea that the amount of carbohydrates you're having is good for you. So if you feel energized, you feel satiated, um, and you know you feel good, then and your blood sugar stay within normal limits, then likely the carbohydrates you're having is a good amount for you. Oh, that's a great answer. All right, Marlene asks, why do dietitians always push carbs when we know <laughs> they raise blood sugar levels? We hear that a lot on the page. What would you say to Marlene? Yeah, so I know it seems like we push carbs, um, and I think we, I think it seems like we do that because with our scientific background knowledge, we really know how important carbs are and how they work in the body. Um, you know, carbohydrates, when they turn into glucose or sugar, they're your body's main source of fuel. Every cell in your body needs glucose to function. Um, and, and it's normal for blood sugars to go up after eating. They're supposed to. They do even in people who don't have diabetes. Um, we just kind of want to watch how much they go up. So I think another part of this is too, you know, when dietitians first meet somebody who is newly diagnosed with diabetes, they're often devastated. They have a lot of um, misinformation, you know, of things that they can't have and things they need to cut out. And I think a lot of that pushing is us trying to make people with diabetes feel like they're not being alienated from these whole food groups or whole macronutrient groups. It's really just about moderation, you know, eating complex carbohydrates, eating proper portion sizes, and not feeling like you have to completely cut something out. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I do think, especially when people are newly diagnosed, they think I'm never going to be able to eat the foods I love again. Yeah. And what I hear you saying is that is not the case. It's moderation. It's totally moderation. Um, and, and it's really sad to see when somebody's so devastated about that. So it might seem like we're pushing, but really we're trying to, to show that, you know, you can have the foods you love and you can eat normal foods that everybody eats and also foods that are very accessible and affordable in grocery stores. You know, carbohydrates are affordable and accessible. Um, and they can be very, very healthy. We just have to watch portions, that's all. <laughs> Such a good message. Valerie asks, beans are supposed to be good for you. Why do they make my blood sugar go up? So speaking of affordable and accessible, <laughs> beans, yes, beans are a carbohydrate and they are good for you, they really are. Um, they've got a, they've got carbohydrates, they've got protein, they've got a host of micronutrients. They're very nutritious, um, but yes, they are a carbohydrate. So if we eat them, our blood sugar is gonna rise. 
and how much we eat is really gonna rely on how much our blood sugar rises. So it's really about moderating your portion size of beans. And when we use the diabetes healthy plate method, we talk about keeping the starch to just about a quarter of the plate. So that's kind of a proper portion for beans or any other starch. Um, but when it comes to carbohydrates, Beans are a great, complex, amazing source of carbohydrates. So they are good, we just have to watch our portions. So you said complex carbohydrates a couple times. Tell us the difference between complex and simple carbohydrates and why fiber is so important for yes. people so with diabetes. Fiber is the biggest difference between complex and simple carbohydrates. And complex carbs are really high in fiber. And when we eat fiber, it slows down how our food moves through the body, through the GI system. And so it can actually help with stabilizing blood sugars because it slows down how the carbohydrate is absorbed into your bloodstream. Um, not only that, but I mean, fiber is great for so many different reasons. You know, it's wonderful for our gut health and, you know, they're doing a lot more research on our microbiome and our gut and how it's our second brain. Um, you know, there's even serotonin receptors in there. So it can even, our gut health can affect our mood, you know? So getting a lot of fiber um, is really healthy for our gut, keeping us regular. Um, and it also helps keep us full longer and feel satiated so that we're not immediately hungry, you know, an hour after eating. So Evelyn asks, how necessary is it to eat a meal if you're not hungry, especially if you're insulin dependent? Do we have to eat regular meals consistently? That's a great question. Yeah, and I get it a lot. And, you know, ideally, now every day is going to look different. You know, we've got different things going on day to day. But ideally, it is best not to skip meals, especially if you're insulin dependent. Um, if you're taking an insulin, you know, before each time you eat, it's important for you to eat regularly so that we can stay on our proper insulin schedule. Um, when you skip meals and you skip your insulin doses, you run the risk of low blood sugar or blood sugars actually going higher. It's different for different people. When we go long periods of time without eating, some people will drop. Others, um, you know, their liver will start producing and releasing sugar, and that can actually cause the blood sugars to go up. Um, and in addition to that, you know, if we're skipping meals, likely we're pretty hungry the next time that we're gonna eat, and then we might overeat. And that's definitely not good for blood sugar uh, management either. I love that, that's a great answer. So speaking of numbers and logging, uh, uh, Karen would like to know, what is a good app to log food and count carbs? Any recommendations for Karen? Yes, and these days there's so many great apps out there. Um, I say stick with the basics that are free to download. Um, MyFitnessPal is great. Lose It is also a good one for tracking carbs and macronutrients and foods like that. Now, if you want more comprehensive, you know, where you enter in your blood sugars and things like that, there's an app called MySugar without the A. This is great for people with type two diabetes who use insulin and other medic medications to manage. There's also a great um, app called Diabetic Recipes. You can pick your recipe and then it will generate a list, a grocery shopping list for you so that you can take it to the store and make your recipe. Oh, how cool. All right, speaking of diet and food, um, Shanna asks, what is the best diet for diabetes? Broad question, but, but a, a very good question, Shanna. There's hundreds of ways to be healthy, hundreds of ways to manage your diabetes, you know, with different ways to eat. Um, but in general, what's most important is that what you're doing is going to be something you can do forever. So diets are often temporary. There's something that we do for a short period of time and then we kind of go back to what we were doing before. This pretty much guarantees that the results aren't gonna last. You know, if it's not something that you can sustain forever, then it's not a place where your results are gonna be able to be sustained forever either. 
So pick something kind of in the realm of possibility. So if I love bread, for example, a super low carb approach is probably not gonna be something I, I'm gonna be able to stick to over the long run. Exactly, you gotta go with your preferences. You know, if you know that something you, there's something that you just love and this diet that is, is gonna require you get rid of that, that's not likely to happen. Um, and not only that, but when we cut out things, it kind of makes us want them even more. So true. Um, and then we end up overdoing it and then we feel badly about the whole situation. So you're better off making slow, long lasting changes that you can really 100% stick with forever, not just a temporary diet. So Wendy asks, speaking of popular diets, Wendy asks, what about intermittent fasting? Is that good for people with diabetes? Intermittent fasting, you know, most of the research, the short-term research about intermittent fasting has shown um, improvements in weight loss, um, particularly because they're overall limiting caloric intake. And it's important to know that you don't have to fast in order to limit your caloric intake. You can eat more nutrient-dense foods at meals, such as you know non-starchy vegetables. There's other ways to limit your carbohydrates without having to go a long time without eating food. Um, for a lot of people, this is not a sustainable pattern. Um, and going long periods of time without eating can cause you know, headaches, lethargy, um, fatigue, and not only that, but if you're taking medications for diabetes, particularly medications that can cause low blood sugar, fasting can actually be really dangerous. It's really important if you wanna try any particular method that you recognize it needs to be something that you can do long-term and you work with a healthcare provider or a dietitian to see how to do it in a healthful manner. I'm actually so glad you said that. So I, I wanna do a, an, an advertisement here for diabetes care and education specialists like Rachel. She is so wonderful. And you know, really making an appointment with a diabetes care and education specialist can help someone like Rachel give you personalized, tailored information about you know, your specific health situation. So definitely want to encourage the folks at home to make an appointment with a diabetes care and education specialist. Absolutely. All right, um, Margaret asks, I've been using my air fryer. Is that a healthier way to eat fried foods? 100%, I am so happy with the invention and the takeoff of the air fryer. Tons of my patients love fried foods. I mean, really, who doesn't? Um, and especially, you know, in so certain cultures, fried foods is what they've always done. And so air frying is a great way to get that texture and that composition, but without all of the added fat. So if you can invest in an air fryer and you love fried foods and you want to cut back on your fat intake, this is a wonderful method to do that. A lot more questions here for you. Uh, Judy asked something that I know a lot of people wonder about. She says, what's your opinion on artificial sweeteners? And is stevia better than others like erythritol? I get this question all the time. So these are different types of um, sugar substitutes or non-nutritive sweeteners, and none of them will affect your blood sugar the same way that sugar will. So erythritol is a sugar alcohol, which is a type of artificial sugar. It's a little bit different than the other ones you're used to hearing like Sweet and Low, Splenda, um, Equal, and those other types. Um, so the difference really is, you know, that you want to be aware of if you have diabetes is that erythritol um, and those other type of sugar alcohols that end in all or OL, um, they do still have some carbohydrates. So this is a lot of times what 
like sugar-free candies or cookies are made up of. And so people will eat them thinking that they're free foods, um, but they actually do have some carbohydrates. So you need to read that total carbohydrate content on the, on the nutrition label and be careful with that. Also, eating a lot of sugar alcohols can cause some GI problems for some people. Um, so something to be aware of. But in general, you know, sugar substitutes are, you know, the studies show that they're not harmful. You know, you can have them in moderation. Now, some people have particular sensitivities. They might give some people a headache, um, but it's something that you just need to pay attention to with your body. And if you're, if you're having the sugar substitute, you're not having the sugar. So your blood sugar is not gonna be rising and you can really gain better control of your blood sugars. So is stevia kind of as a natural option, is that a better choice or is, should we kind of just go with our taste preference? I think you should really go with your taste preference. Um, although stevia does come from a plant and they market it as very natural, um, it can be higher priced and it works the same way as the other ones. So, you know, you're better off finding what you enjoy because they all do taste different. And I've got a lot of patients that really enjoy one and really don't like another. And so I say stick with the one that you know and the one that you enjoy and all things in moderation. Absolutely, that, that is the watchword of the show, I think. Yes. All right, next question. Ellen has a question that, that several people have asked about on the page. She says, uh, my kidneys are affected, so what food should I eat? You know, in the beginning stages of kidney disease, there's not particular foods that we say avoid or definitely eat. Um, at this stage, we're really trying to focus on getting good management of diabetes, blood sugars, and um, blood pressure. That's the best way to prevent further kidney decline, is to manage your blood pressure and your blood sugars. Um, and of course, to do that through healthy eating, your medications, and physical activity. Now, people who have more progressed kidney decline, they might be told to limit certain micronutrients, um, such as potassium, sodium, and which is an electrolyte, um, and phosphorus. And so foods that are high in these compounds are typically, sometimes they're really good for diabetes. And then we're telling people with, you know, later kidney disease not to have them. Um, and so that can be really confusing and frustrating. And then furthermore, once somebody has reached the dialysis phase of kidney disease, they might need extra protein in addition to limiting phosphorus, potassium, and sodium. Um, and so it's really important that you talk to a dietitian um, and talk about what stage of kidney disease that you're in. And so you can really get a specialized plan. So again, folks, you know, kind of the, the idea that you want to talk to a diabetes care and education specialist and get the approach that's right for you, particularly when we're talking about other conditions going along with diabetes. All right, Mason asks, are there meal services that are good for people with diabetes? What would you say to Mason? Yes, and I would say people with diabetes don't have to select a special type of meal service that other people you know, don't have to use it. You really can select what you want as long as you get the proper information that you need. You need to know your macronutrients. You need to know the amount of carbohydrates, the amount of fat and the amount of protein. You want to try to select healthier um, food subscriptions. So, you know, it doesn't have to be different from everybody else, but you need to know this information before you choose it. Then we have a great question from Renee. She says, what's the best way to maintain your A1C and your weight once you've reached your goal? I think sometimes losing weight is the easier part and maintaining it maintaining is the hard part. It really is. And I think it 100% depends on how you got there. I think if you've made temporary changes to make these change to to get to this point that you're at, then maintenance is going to be really hard. If you have 
um, made realistic, sustainable changes, then maintenance will just naturally come. Um, a lot of people will quit, you know, or they will resort to drastic changes to try to reach their goals. And neither of these things are gonna get you to the maintenance phase. This is a long, slow process. It's not a race, and it's really about finding what truly works for you forever. All right, another question about weight loss. Uh, this one from Kathy. She says, if I eat in my calorie range, my blood glucose goes low. How do we balance kind of, you know, trying to lose weight and also making sure that our blood glucose kind of stays where it needs to be? Yeah, this is tough. Um, it's really important, first of all, that you're sharing any low blood sugars you're having with your doctor or your diabetes educator and getting regular monitoring um, when you're having these types of changes. So it really depends on what medications you're on. You know, if you're taking your medications as prescribed, you're eating in your caloric range, you feel satiated and energized and you feel like you're getting enough food and you're still having low blood sugars, it's time to talk to your doctor about maybe reducing some of your medications. Um, if you're not on any medications and this is still happening, um, then I do suggest actually having a complex carbohydrate with a protein snack before bed um, to reduce hypoglycemia the next morning. This could be something like whole grain crackers with some egg salad or a slice of whole grain toast with some peanut butter. Great point. Last question, Rachel. Is there anything you wish every person with diabetes knew? I wish everybody with type 2 diabetes would know how important it is to celebrate the small wins in this journey um, and to stay positive. You know, there's a lot of diabetes distress and diabetes burnout. And if you celebrate those small wins and you make those small changes, eventually things do start looking up. Um, and that's what I really want people to know, that you can do this. Oh, so inspiring. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for joining us tonight. As always, this has been such a practical and informative conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Ansley. We will be back with a new episode in a few weeks. Until then, please stay safe and take good care. Good night, everyone.